This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 63. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I'm here with my purple-shirted, beautiful, bald co-host, Chris Graham. Hey, Chris, how you doing, man? You. Total nerd out today. I hung some bookshelves in my office in oh, homestudiolessons.com central, and I'm really excited about it. I've never really had nice bookshelves before. Everyone is literally yawning right now, Chris. So dumb. Yeah. Sorry, guys. All right, Brian, how are you doing? I'm fine. It's cool. Are you getting super jacked? for your bachelor party where you, myself, and many people I don't know, but who are apparently super good friends with you, all go out to Yosemite. We just booked flights for this. This is fun. And I just found out what we're actually doing. Apparently we're going to Yosemite State Park in America. National Park. This ain't no state park bachelor party. Oh, you're right. Sorry. That's National Park in the middle of winter. So we got to get snow chains on our tires. We're going to hike 12 miles in the snow. It's going to be a grueling self-discovery of a bachelor party and I've got all my friends with me. So it's going to be awesome, including Chris Graham, the one and only. Actually, Winter Nam is only the second time we've really ever been around each other in person. This is true. Which is weird. So two Nams are the two times we've been around each other. And then the third time will be my bachelor party. Fourth being my wedding. It's weird. As well as we know each other, we've not really spent much time together. This is true. It's weird. I feel like we're way closer than we actually are, at least physically. Well, it's, yeah, I'm nervous about that because I'm not a very touchy person, but I feel like I'm going to have to hug you real big when I see you three times this winter. This is a podcast about business, not about my bachelor party, not about my wedding, not about your bookshelves. This is about how to run a successful business. And one of the biggest things about running a successful business is seeing changes in the industry before they've really taken hold. So that you can take advantage of them before everyone else does. And that's the big thing about trends is there's a bell curve that comes with trends. When something starts to take hold, there is a gradual increase and then it peaks out. And then that's the point of saturation and then effectiveness starts to decrease. And if you jump in too late, you are going to get the the last little remaining bits of uh, the benefit of that trend. And so we're going to hopefully bring up something that we've kind of noticed this year as being more and more of a trend that hopefully our listeners can start taking advantage of before it becomes oversaturated. Chris, do you want to kind of talk about what we have started to notice or do you want to preface this before we actually talk about what that thing is? Yeah. Well, let me kind of put my prophecy hat on as we predict tectonic shifts in the music industry. I'm going to make a prediction here. We're going to talk about this. And I think what Brian and I have to say is right on the money. We are already beginning to see a shift And this impacts our industry. If you are a mixing engineer, a mastering engineer, a studio owner, a producer, a session musician, fill in the blank. If you are in the music industry, this shift will dramatically affect you. We're working on getting some people to come on the show to interview that are, you know, ground zero in this shift. So stay tuned for more episodes about this in the future. But here's the shift that Brian and I see. Over the past hundred years, our industry revolved around, and Brian, you know, you brought this up earlier, what we would call a waterfall sequence of events. So a band would come in, they would work on a record for a long time, and then that record would release, and then they'd switch from recording production product making mode to promoting mode. They'd hit the road and they'd promote that record and try to sell it. As everybody listening probably knows, if you're over the age of seven, something dramatic happened about two decades ago, 
where suddenly you couldn't make one good song and have 10 other mediocre songs and sell that for $20 anymore. All of a sudden, if you had a good song, the good song would sell, but nobody was willing to pay you $20 for your album. So this has dramatically changed things. There was sort of a golden age. There was home studio world, plus people still bought CDs in the early 2000s where people could make a lot of money as a touring band, especially solo musicians. They were killing it. Now, the big transition that we see and that we're continuing to see is I would call this decade the decade of YouTube. YouTube has had a crazy influence on just about every industry. It's the second largest search engine on earth, only surpassed by Google. And here's the thing, Google owns YouTube. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah, the first and second largest search engine. So, well, but what's happening, Chris? You won't tell us, you're stalling. Sorry, I got a little verby there. So what's happening that we are seeing is bands are figuring out that if you want to grow, you have to consistently release content, whether that means weekly, monthly, but certainly not yearly, which was the previous sort of like album cycle model. There are definitely still bands that are going to do this into the future that are going to get away with it. Bands like, you know, Coldplay and 21 Pilots and, you know, giant established bands. It's still going to work for them. Their following is so big and they're so memorable that it's not going to matter. But for up and coming bands, the way that they're going to build an audience, the way that they're going to maintain engagement and stay top of mind with their audience is by regularly releasing content. But Chris, how does this affect my studio? Well, I'm glad you asked, Brian. So <laughs> the big thing when I was producing records, you know, a decade or two ago, well, not quite two, that makes me sound much older than I am. So when people were producing records, you would go head down in the studio and you'd bust your butt for a month, for two months, for three months at a time, and you'd work and work and work and work and work. Here's the thing. That's how the business ran, but it wasn't how the business grew. The Beatles knocked out like their first record in I think like a few days. Like they went in, recorded, got out. They came in prepped. They came in prepared. They came in practiced. They recorded it mostly live, and then they released the record quickly and got it on the streets quickly. So you'd finish a record back in the day it would get printed that day or the next day, and it'd be in stores the day after that. Now, even though we can release so much faster than that, the normal thing to do is this waterfall method of like, hey, I'm going to work and 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 work. Waterfall, we released an album, and then we're going to work and work and work and work behind the scenes, no feedback from fans, no engagement with fans, no new content to pitch from fans other than like, Hey guys, I'm at the store and I'm on Instagram and I'm not adding any value to my content at all. That's <laughs> kind of crazy to me. What bands are starting to see, and there's a couple groups that I see that are doing this really, really well, is they're starting to release on a regular schedule. And for us as podcasters and hopefully future YouTubers here, <laughs> the thing that we've noticed with our podcast is it grows a ton because we release every single week on Tuesday at 6 a.m., right? Mm -hmm. That consistency makes it easy to build a relationship with us. Bands aren't doing that yet, but they're just starting to. And here's our prediction. A year, two, three years from now, almost all bands will be consistently releasing music on a fast schedule and getting feedback from their fans and building engagement with their fans and building their followers count, their subscribers, et cetera. So to kind of piggyback on what you just said, Chris, I think a really important point is 
because of this shift in the future, if you can establish yourself now as an audio engineer or a producer or a mixer, someone who is taking on this sort of work on a regular basis, you're actually seeking out these sorts of clients. You're going to set yourself up to be the go-to studio in the future as this type of trend takes on. And I noticed someone in our Facebook community recently complaining about a lot of his work now tends to be bands coming to him to want to record live. And he was wanting to know, should he try to seek out some other type of work, the kind of work he wanted, or should he accept what the market is giving him, what the market is saying is there? And a lot of the community was telling him to just nurture that, accept what the market's telling you that is there, and then actually build upon that by adding video services to what you do. And that is exactly what he should be doing As far as I can tell, again, I don't know his business specifically, but that's what this episode is about, is embracing the change in the music industry and not trying to shun it for something that you think is quote unquote more preferable. If you can be the person that is well-established in this sort of niche where you are doing regular recordings with bands, not only does that create recurring revenue, it allows you to monetize in a number of ways, not just with the recording, but also by adding video. And I can tell you right now, if you know how to work Pro Tools, it's not that hard to learn how to work a video editing software as well, at least to a minimal level. And Chris, you said you saw a couple of bands that you see doing this pretty well. Yeah. Go ahead and talk about those bands and the videos will be in our show notes, the two bands that Chris is specifically talking about. But if you watch those videos in our show notes, which you can get to by going to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 63, that's slash 63. Those videos are simple as can be. It's just one camera, one shot, no editing. It's as simple as possible. And so that takes the burden off having to be some master videographer. The whole thing about it is putting good content out consistently. It doesn't have to be perfect. And Chris with his YouTube channel was talking about PewDiePie, the YouTuber PewDiePie, love him or hate him. He's one of the biggest YouTubers of all time. He's got almost 100 million subscribers and his videos he put out every single day. He puts out a new video and they're not that good. They're not that high quality as far as- From a fidelity standpoint. Right. From a fidelity standpoint, he just doesn't give a shit about anything as far as fidelity. What he cares about is his content. And again, I'm not going to debate on whether or not you think his content's good. What matters is that it's popular because he's consistent with it. And that's sort of the trend we see here. So Chris, what are those bands you were talking about? Yeah. So these bands, full disclosure, I'm obsessed with two of these bands. I think they're probably my favorite bands around right now. The first is this band Pomplamoose. They've been around for a while, probably about 10 years or so. And they came to fame. They were really viral uh, in like before 2010. And they would do these like really edited loop based videos. Jack Conti, the lead guy, would do all the instruments and his wife would sing. And I'm embarrassed that I can't remember her name, but she's fantastic. And they would make these videos and release them regularly. What they do now, Pomplamoose has totally changed. Pomplamoose is a really tight live band who records every month and releases content at least every week. They have another project that's the same band members with other people that they bring in called Scary Pockets. And they do funk covers of popular songs. Really damn awesome funk covers. Like their name is Scary Pockets. The pockets are scary. The pockets in the music are so good. And by doing this, they're building a consistent following. And here's the thing. One of the lead guys in both of these bands, his name is Jack Conti. Jack Conti is the CEO of Patreon. This is a really, really forward-leaning visionary in our industry right now who is trying to help the world become a better place because here's the thing. If a band releases content consistently, they can then get Patreon supporters who can then sponsor their creation of this content. 
Now, here's where this is really important for us as audio engineers, mixing engineers, mastering engineers, studio engineers, et cetera, is that if the shift happens, if we see that bands are like, holy crap, if we consistently release content, we can say, hey, person watching this YouTube video, please subscribe because we drop videos every Thursday. There's a reason to ask for subscribers when you're consistently dropping content. So that's a big deal. There's another band called Postmodern Jukebox that does like 1930s, 1920s, almost like big band jazzy covers of pop songs. Absolutely incredible. They did all about that bass. These bands are consistently releasing content and they're building their subscribers at a rapid pace as a result of that, which allows them to do a couple things. It allows them to, one, have subscribers, two, get supporters that pay monthly to support you, which is enormous. And three, it allows them to build a huge fan base so they can tour like crazy. It's a massive tour promoting tool. So Brian, let's talk about what can we do in the audio industry to support this change that's happening, to capitalize off it, and to generally like be a part of this next revolution in music. Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I think there's several ways we could probably do this. I think one of the biggest ways is to first understand and notice this trend around you and look for people that are doing this and then be able to help develop bands that you already work with to transition early on. Because the earlier you can help these bands transition, that is not only adding value to these artists because they're able to take hold of a new trend and help it grow their own position as an artist, but that also helps you as a business because now these clients you already have, these relationships you already have, they are turning from once a year customers into once a month customers. Woo! Let that sink in. If you can take a customer that's coming to you once a year and transfer them into a customer that's coming once a month, that increases their lifetime customer value to you. And at the very least, it helps even out your income to where you have recurring income every single month. And I think that's honestly one of the biggest benefits with this is just helping bands along the way. And we're going to have people on the podcast in the future that help us talk about how to actually nurture bands or help develop bands after you work with them. But this is one of just many, many ways that you can help do that. And the more success you can help the bands you work with get, the more you're going to get from it because other bands are going to notice these bands and want to come work with you as well. And this is a potential viral effect because every single video and single you do every month, or if you do three or four songs in a two or three day period, and those come out once a week, every week, those are all little calling cards with your name. Those are little business cards for you with hopefully your link and your name in the description of the YouTube video. And again, those are all sources of referrals for you. Yeah. So I want you guys to kind of imagine you are a producer, you're a studio, whatever. And your typical way that you do business is you go to shows, you meet bands, you're messaging them online. And when it comes down to it, you're pitching the band on an album. That's the make or break moment for you when you send a proposal and you say, yeah, man, 2K for me to do your album or it'd be 20K to do your album or it'd be 50K to do your album. That pitch is intense for a couple reasons. One, if you fail, yeesh, it sucks. Two, the band has to finance it in a huge amount of money really fast. And also bands are notoriously bad at saving money. Just oh yeah, as no, oh. as no surprise to anyone in the world. Yeah, <laughs> bands are notoriously bad. Honestly, one of the biggest benefits of this is it's a monthly thing. They just have to come up with a much, much smaller monthly payment instead of a huge chunk at the end of the year, which they probably won't be able to save up. Yeah. So let's imagine Bob and Joe. Bob and Joe are both producers. They both own a home studio. They're both very talented, equally talented, let's say. Bob is 
pitching albums to bands. For Bob, he loves that big payday. He loves getting that check with, you know, four digits in it in the mail, five digits in it in the mail. He loves that. The problem Bob has is that Bob's business is inconsistent. He'll have a $10,000 month and then he'll make no money the next month. And then he'll have a $15,000 month and then he'll lose $2,000 the month after that. And we talk about this in great detail in episode 58, the three roads to six figures, where we start talking about different business models. This is one of the discussions we have. Yeah. So Bob's got this traditional business. He's pitching albums on huge projects. (laughs) Who's the other guy? Joe? Is that what I said his name was? Just call him Joe. It's fine. Let's call him Joe. Joe has seen the writing on the wall. He's seen that if you want to be successful as a band, you have to be an influencer. You have to have Instagram followers. You have to have YouTube subscribers. You can't just be like, hey, I I released a record, everybody. And then it goes viral because everyone's sharing it and they have no social media presence at all. That doesn't work anymore. So what Joe has started doing is he's transitioned away from pitching albums. And when Joe meets a band, he says, oh man, you guys are awesome. I tell you what, you know, typically an album would be, let's just throw it around number 10K with me, pretty expensive album. It'd be a 10K with me. Or what we could do is if you guys can raise $1,200 a month, we're going to have, let's say three days in the studio where we're going to come out. We're going to finish four songs. We're going to track them live. So we're going to go take after take after take. I've got a guy that has a really nice DSLR camera. We've got all the lights. He's going to come in and he's going to do one seamless shot of the entire band performing live. And then we're going to take the best take. I'm going to mix that. We're going to sync it with the video and you're going to release a YouTube video every Friday. So we're going to make a bunch of songs up front. So we'll record for two months in a row. So three days, first month, three days, the second month. And then on that third month, you're going to start releasing those songs one at a time for a week. And you're going to keep paying me $1,200 and we're going to keep doing this forever. Now that gets interesting for a couple reasons. The band raising $1,200 is a lot different than the band raising $10,000. And in a situation like that, they also get stuck on a treadmill. And I think this is a good treadmill for the band to get stuck on. But that band, once they start releasing music regularly and they start seeing their subscribers tick up, they start seeing all the shares that they get where people are excited to re-engage with them. Yay, it's Tuesday. My favorite band releases a song on Tuesday. When that starts to happen, that band's going to get addicted. And that band's going to come back to you again and again and again and again. And then all of a sudden, another band comes to you, to Joe, excuse me. And Joe pitches the band on the same thing. Now, Joe's got six months of his month booked for the foreseeable future every month. He doesn't have to go out looking for new bands. If he has three bands doing this, he's getting about $3,500 to $4,000 a month, roughly. Right. Consistently, though. Right. And what Joe probably does is he finds somebody who does wedding photography. No, Joe doesn't even have to have a videographer. You get your own camera. From what I've seen on these videos that you've shown me, Chris, like that I've been finding on here of the examples that will be linked in our show notes, it's a tripod camera. It's sitting in one place. It's not even moving. It's one shot. And just go buy a camera. Go buy a $300, $400 camera and a lighting system that costs another two, 300 bucks. You're done. That's your gear. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a lot of interesting ways you could do this. If you don't have a nice facility to do this in, you can do it at someone's house. And here's the thing. I know initially as audio engineers, we're like, ooh, ah, I don't want to do that. I want to do it in a real studio. That intimacy of, hey, this is a bunch of us sitting around a family room and there's a fire going in the fireplace and there's bleed in the whole nine yards. That intimacy 
is what people crave on YouTube. True. I was watching a video last night on YouTube of this. I forget the name of the girl, but they're sitting around a fire on a beach and they're all playing and singing. And it was gorgeous. It was so beautiful, but it was beautiful because it was like, oh, I want to be there with them. Oh, that's so, that was engaging. It was sort of this like, you wanted to be there with them as opposed to this like music videos from the 90s where it was like, everything's perfect. And now the next video from Corn, bullet holes and special effects. <laughs> that's all well and good. But a band that's releasing a video each week where they've lowered the bar for the production value, but they've raised the intimacy of the product is really, really, really interesting. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. And depending on what genre you're doing, what your gear situation is, you may have an option to go do remote recording for this sort of thing where you can go on location somewhere. If you look at, there's a really fun video with Sylvia Massey where she goes and records a band inside of a nuclear silo. And it's the craziest sounding effect. I don't remember where I saw that, but a lot of you have probably seen that and it's awesome. Might've seen it somewhere on this thing (laughs) called the internet. The webs. Something called internet. (laughs) Oh yeah. So that brings up a great point. If you don't have a space, you could do it in a family room because the issue here is intimacy. You're not going for fidelity. You're going for subscribers and subscribers don't subscribe for fidelity. They subscribe for intimacy. They want to have this YouTube channel be a part of their lives. If you don't have a room, but you've got a little bit of gear and a little bit of know-how, you can do all sorts of funky stuff. Like we're going to record in the woods or we're going to record in a field and we only record outside or we only record in abandoned buildings. There's all sorts of stuff you can do that totally works on YouTube and that avoids you having to have a big rent payment on some huge studio. Really, if you just summed all of this up, I think it's just to let 2019 be the year of consistent content. Yes. And that means different mediums. It means regular content. And that means recurring income if you can get the right type of clients. And I think that's a huge shift. We've mentioned it a few times on the podcast in passing. We've mentioned this elusive recurring revenue thing, but I don't think we've really had a full episode really breaking down of how you could capture that. And I think this is a really, really good way to capture that. You don't need 50 clients. You don't need to find 50 clients in a year, or in your case, Chris, 50 clients in a week. You just need to find a handful of clients who see this vision that you have, who are willing to come consistently to your studio and record regularly. And 
incorporate some sort of visual element with that, which adds to the perceived value that they're getting. If they go try to price out a music video, it's going to be four grand, five grand, 10 grand in some cases. If they go try to price out an entire album, it's going to be five grand, 10 grand, 20 grand, depending on who they go with. If they can come to you and they get a live video, a live recording that's well mixed, the video is well lit, the camera quality is pretty good, then that's a much easier pitch to get your thousand to two thousand dollars a month or whatever it takes instead of trying to get that five to ten thousand dollar, twenty thousand dollar number. And again, all of these numbers are interchangeable. It depends on your situation. Don't try to take these numbers we give you as the definite guide of what you should charge. Because for some people, it's going to be like, oh, I could never get that much. And for some of you, it's like, oh, I would never work for that little. But what's important is that you get the grasp of understanding what we're trying to say here, because if you can take advantage of this sort of change in the industry, this sort of shift early on, and you can position yourself well, you're going to be set up for success as this catches on. Let me drop a little wisdom nugget here. This is an idea Ooh. I just had. I like your wisdom nuggets. And I like that we're trading back and forth and talking a lot each because yeah. it gives the other person a lot to think about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's say... You're Bob. You know, you're used to this. I reach out to a band. I nurture them. I go to their shows. I'm trying to build up rapport with them. I'm trying to land them as a huge multi-thousand dollar project. That's hard. No matter what industry you're in, getting people to spend thousands of dollars is difficult. And if you invest 20 hours in trying to convince a band to work with you and it falls through, you just lost 20 hours. Congratulations. What's so interesting about this pitch to make reoccurring scheduled content is how easy it is to begin to pitch that to the band. So a lot of bands don't know this change is coming yet. And we have an opportunity as audio people to be harbingers, to bring it, to help the future become the now. And this is super cool. So let's say there's a band, Joe's got a band that he wants to work with. This band is still in waterfall mode. Let's make that a word. They're still in waterfall release mode. And every year they release a project, they decide the next producer they're going to work with, they save up their money, they take out loans, they work crap jobs, have enough money, they make the record, they've completely disconnected with their audience online in the process, they have no feedback of whether the fans like it at all. So what Joe starts doing, he's trying to go after bands who have not bought into the consistent content model yet. And he's sharing with them online, you know, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, whatever, dude, have you seen this video from XYZ Band? Boom. Dude, have you seen this video? They kind of remind me of you a little bit. Dude, the drummer in this video looks just like your drummer. Boom. They start having that dialogue and all of a sudden the band's like, oh my gosh, this band is amazing. Dude, I've watched all their videos. Cool. Man, that's so awesome. Do you know how that band has gotten so popular? They've consistently released a live recording every week. Maybe you should do that with me. <laughs> There's this easy pitch where all of a sudden, rather than doing the Bob thing and pitching an album that's super expensive that you make once a year that's make or break it, your job as an audio person, as a recording studio owner, as a producer, fill in the blank, is now to convince bands to jump on the consistent content bandwagon. If you can do that, you only need a couple clients to make a pretty good living, right? Now, here's the interesting thing. No more editing. There's still editing. There's not as much editing. Not nearly as much. Yeah, yeah. There's way less editing. There's way less payment issues because you know, hey, you're going to pay me consistently. And if you didn't pay me for last month, guess what? You're not going to have any content to release next month because I won't work with you until you pay me. All of a sudden, all these problems in our industry start to evaporate. Evaporate. That's a great word. That's what I was looking for there. They start to turn into mist. 
and disappear because there's a consistency there. And it becomes about relationship. It becomes about building that relationship with the band. And there's a couple things you can do at this point. That band can get on Patreon. You could pitch them that, hey, I want to be like the invisible member of the band and I will share in the Patreon spoils. By the way, explain to our listeners what Patreon is because this can be a huge part of making this work with your clients if you can connect them with Patreon because that can help them pay for the actual monthly recordings that they are now paying you for. Yeah, so Patreon is a crowdfunding website, but it's a little different than say Kickstarter or GoFundMe. Kickstarter or GoFundMe is a waterfall platform. Raise a bunch of money, make something awesome, release it, and then go promote it. And then don't make anything for a while. Patreon's totally the opposite. Patreon is you're consistently making content. If you support the content I'm consistently making, you go to Patreon and you pledge to have a certain dollar amount automatically charged to your credit card. So imagine if one of your bands that you're trying to work with or that you work with converts to the consistent content model and they have 10,000 fans who suddenly begin supporting them for $2 a month or $3 a month or $4 a month. Or per YouTube video. I tell you right now, I actually support one YouTube channel, Primitive Technology. Oh, they're the best. I love them. I know. It's so good. I give that dude three bucks a video that he releases. So every time a new video comes out, three bucks gets taken out of my account. So you can tie it to how many videos they release. The more videos they put out, the more they get from you. But it's just one of those things that you can tie that pledge to either a monthly thing or a per video thing if it's tied to YouTube, just so you know. Well, so let's talk about, I brought up before the way recording used to work. And I know for many of you, us in the audio industry are very resistant to change. That's just sort of our culture. The thing to keep in mind here is this isn't really a new thing. This is an old thing. People released records really fast for decades before we finally were like, you know what we should do? We should work on a record for like six months and then we'll release it. That wasn't a thing up until fairly recently in history. So this is really going back to an older model and, in my opinion, a more magical model. Something magic happens when you get a live band and it's about chemistry rather than the quality of the editing. Make sense? Some of you are so mad right now. I apologize for that. <laughs> but there is a magic to a live band. And if your job as the audio engineer is to facilitate and capture rather than to create... Let me say that again. If your job as the audio engineer is to facilitate and capture that magic rather than to create it from thin air using MIDI and quantization and... Guilty. Guilty. Yeah. Ditto. Also guilty. Because here's the thing. When you're trying to create it, there's a certain type of insanity that creeps in. And every single person listening knows what I'm talking about here. God, so much truth to that. Yeah. This like, I'm going to move the hi-hats just a little bit with one millisecond backwards. And, oh, you know what? Let's move all the snare hits four milliseconds into the future and create a little bit more of a shuffle. Okay. Oh, oh, there it is. There's the magic. When you're sitting there trying to do alchemy, alchemy is this fake science of creating gold from other things. It's not a thing, at least not in any large scale, but people have been trying to do it for millennia. When you're trying to create gold with a mouse, that's hard, man. And that leads to all sorts of mental health issues. Capturing magic is a good, wholesome, awesome, amazing thing. Well, I think it's time to wrap this episode up. I think we've kind of explored the idea of this trend and how it could potentially unfold over the next year or two and how you can potentially capture part of the market for your own gain. Is there anything else you want to add to this, Chris, as we wrap up here? Yeah, I guess one last thing. I think a lot of us would say, well, you guys talk about niching down and this sounds like I'd have to become good at video stuff as well. 
yes and no. There's a point there for sure. This is kind of its own niche, if I'm being honest. This, what we just talked about is kind of its own niche. It is its own niche. But here's the thing you can keep in mind is that video, especially if you're using the same space to record all these bands, video is something where you can create a system, set and forget. Yep. It's like very templatable. Yes. Very templatable. Mostly video is about lighting. It's about lighting in a decent camera. Yeah. If you watch Chris and I, uh, if you ever see any of our clips on YouTube or on Facebook from this podcast, we both just use basic hundred dollar or less webcams. Mine's a Logitech. Uh, my webcam's $159, Brian. Oh, uh, you got the 4K one. Either way, it's a cheap webcam and the video quality is great because we both have good lighting. Yep. Bingo. So if you invest in the lighting, you invest in the camera. If you really want to go nuts, you know, there's all sorts of mirrorless and DSLR. Like, Don't. My suggestion, I spent way too much time researching cameras when I was looking to buy <laughs> one before, which the camera I rarely even use, just to be honest with you. I use this Logitech infinitely more than my expensive camera. Just pick one and go on. You're not a videographer. You're a recording engineer or a mixer or whatever you're doing. You have a recording studio or a home studio. You're not a videographer. So just pick one and move on because that's the least important thing you'll decide on in this entire process. Yeah. So last thought here, if this is interesting to you, check out the show notes in this episode, check out the videos from scary pockets, check out the videos from Pomplamoose. check out the videos from postmodern jukebox. There are many other bands that are beginning to experiment with this, but watch these videos and look at how simple they are. It's a bunch of microphones in a cool looking room with great lighting and a single camera. Those projects are getting way, way more views, way, way more streams, and they're making a dent. And you can be a part of that. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I want to mention something that I think is an important note about this trend that we talked about today. We really put a lot of focus into the video side of this. And while that is a good way to add additional perceived value and real value to your clients, don't get too stuck on the video thing. I think really the core of this episode was more about the regular release schedule and the recurring revenue potential that comes along with that. So if you find yourself just thinking, oh God, I don't want to do video or, oh God, my clients would never do video, pause and consider why that might be. And maybe you are ignoring something that could be a great fit for what you do. But if not, if it really isn't a good fit for you, if it's really not a good fit for your clients, if you really don't want to get into video, still listen to this episode, keeping an open mind that maybe pitching your clients on regular releases instead of the waterfall model where you just work, 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 work for weeks and then release and then tour. Instead of that model, see if it makes more sense to work with your clients on a more consistent release schedule. And that is going to help even out your income a lot, as well as keep you from having to constantly go out and find new clients. Because if you have people that are coming back to you monthly or once every quarter, you don't have to continually go out and find new clients. You just find your handful of people, your little tribe, you work to build those people up and develop those artists. And then together, you can all reap the rewards long-term. Next week's episode, Chris and I will be discussing scoreboards. What the hell does that mean? Well, think about this. If anyone has ever watched any sporting event of any kind ever, you've probably seen some sort of situation where it all comes down to the end of the game, the clock is ticking, the score is tied, and each team or each participant starts to ramp up their efforts in order to win the game. And it always makes for great TV, always makes for great spectating. But what if you were to hide the scores from those teams? The entire game, they had no idea what the score was. Do you think you would see that same effort from those participants? throughout the game, especially at the end when the game is on the line, I could almost guarantee you that you will not see the same level of gameplay if there is no score on the scoreboard. 
So when it comes to your business next week, we're going to talk about setting up a scoreboard for you to compete against yourself. So you know where you stand every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year compared to that same period last year. And we're going to talk about multiple things to track, not just your income. There's other things to talk about as well in this. So that episode will be coming out next Tuesday, bright and early, 6 a.m. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and happy hustling. Whoa.